I really love a to-the-point introduction, and this week's guest has a line in her bio that perfectly sums up what it is she does. Dr. Carrie Jones, a functional medicine doctor and hormone expert, says, quote, I help hormonally challenged people feel less crazy. <laughs> if you're a woman, that line hits. I like to think hormones are one of the more important things that we have to deal with as women. The interplay of these chemicals, each which is meant to wax and wane in the orchestra of our body's cycles, can impact so much of our physical and mental health. And yet, so few doctors talk about this with us. Over decades of having a period, having children, I don't think one doctor has ever said to me, hey, have you had your hormone levels checked? They're in control of a lot more than just your fertility. Thankfully, things are changing these days, due in no small part to the work of people like today's guest, who is educating thousands and thousands of people through social media, giving them the info they need to take to their doctors. Dr. Carrie Jones is a naturopathic physician with over 17 years in the field of functional and integrative medicine. She has a master's in public health. She was an adjunct faculty member for the National University of Natural Medicine, a medical director for two integrative clinics in Portland, and also worked with the Dutch test, which is a specialized saliva test used to measure hormones. There are a lot more qualifications of hers to list, but think of her work as exactly what I said in the beginning. She's going to help you feel less crazy and make up for the years and years that chances are no one talked about hormones to you either. So sit back and prepare to feel validated, educated, and inspired. Welcome to We Gotta Talk. Dr. Carrie Jones, thank you so much for being here today. Oh my gosh, thanks for having me back on. Hormones, of course, is my favorite topic, so I'm ready to dive in. Why does no one talk to us about hormones, Carrie? I'm really mad about this. It took me a long time and it took me a lot of my own research. Tell me why. I know. It's, it's a real disservice is what it is. You know, when we go through school, the elementary school, middle school, high school, we learn the basics, right? We learn uh, like how not to get pregnant. We learn a little bit about our periods and then that's it. They're like, all right, go forth, frolic and good luck. And it's almost like we need every decade a, a, an email or a conference or something of like, hey, you're, you're in your 20s now, here's what you expect, you're in your 30s now, transitions are happening, all right, girl, you're in your 40s, like, let's do this, and beyond, and we don't get that, and a lot of the older generations, our moms, our grandmothers, our aunts, they didn't talk about it, so they, were, they were sort of brushed off, it was like, well, this is menopause, this is a transition, good luck, and they didn't have social media, and now we Gen X, the later millennials, we're all like transitioning into that state. We're in our late thirties and our fifties going, uh-uh, no, I'm not doing this. Like my mom did. I'm not doing this. Like my grandmother did. I need answers. And thank goodness we have them now. And there's a lot you can do. Okay. I want to get into hormones per decade. We're doing a lot of focus this month though, on that really special range between I got the pre 40 post 40 range. So five to 45, maybe you're just on the tail end of probably on the tail end of your more fertile years when you maybe started your family all the way up to your mid forties when you're finally maybe in perimenopause, you're starting to at the very least see changes in your cycle and things like that. So we're going to start with that group because I feel like that's the bulk of my listeners at yeah. the moment. And I really want to speak to them. So my experience was I had my third baby at 36 and I really wasn't even feeling that different. But my friend said, listen, I go to this amazing woman. She does these hormone panels and there's saliva tests. And I'm like, this sounds excessive, but okay. And I went there and I did the whole thing. And Dr. Jones, like my, the way that my body felt, even just knowing what was causing for me, it was more like that anxiety feeling mm -hmm. the week before my period. It's just, everything clicked into place. So I want to start off with the testing specifically. I've heard yeah. women say, Oh, I've got my blood. My hormones measure my blood. Tell me about the difference versus a, a saliva test versus a blood test, what you prefer and why. Yeah. So when, and honestly, just blood, just testing in general, I've had a lot of um, patients come to me over the years. I've had a lot of friends and family say, you know, I ask, I feel hormonal. I don't know what that is or what that means, but I just feel off. Something's wrong. Mm -hmm. um, I'd like to have my hormones tested and maybe their primary care OBGYN says, no, no, that's to be expected. This is common, right? Like you just had your third kid. 
you run a very successful business, like this is to be expected, or I'll get even worse. Oh, well, you're in your forties now. So for me, good luck. You know, like that's what, this is what happens. I'm like, (laughs) no, no, no. So much changes as we hit into our mid to late thirties into our forties from everything, everything, not just our hormones, like estrogens and progesterone, but like thyroid, glucose, cholesterol, like vitamin D, iron, like these things can all shift as a unit for the worse because they're all connected in in the body. And so when you go to your practitioner, whoever that is, and you say, I'd like to test my hormones, Mm -hmm. ask for a full panel, let them know. I'd actually like to have my glucose tested as well. I'd like to have my cholesterol checked as well. And, and they may push back with, well, your hormones change all the time. So we don't actually test your hormones. And it is true, your reproductive, your menstrual cycle hormones do change. But if you have a regular cycle, we know what they should be pretty much day to day, which is why we narrow it down for you. We say, look, if you have a typical 28 day cycle somewhere in there, you want to check about five to seven days after ovulation. We call it the luteal phase. For a lot of people, it's day like 19, 20, and 21. Mm-hmm. So when we can narrow that in, it's so much more helpful for people than, well, we don't test hormones because they change all the time or the random blood draw on a random day of your cycle. Mm-hmm. And then it's interpreted as like, oh, well, that's fine. When really it's not as specific as we were looking for. Now, as far as which test do I like to do? I tell people just start with te- like if blood testing is what your practitioner does. That's what your insurance covers. Go for it. Then we can get more specific. So there's saliva testing and there's urine testing. So the saliva testing came around because we also want to check cortisol, our stress hormone. We get less, we're less adapted to stress as we get older. Our cortisol, unfortunately, is not as great as it was when we were younger. And cortisol plays a big role in our body. And so the saliva test allows us to check cortisol through the day. So instead of having to get like four or five blood draws in a day to see how your cortisol goes through the day, you, you know, you spit in a tube or then you suck on a cotton swab. Then testing took it one step further and came out with urine testing because we're like, okay, we have these hormones. Then where do they go when they break down? We, mm. we want to know, like you make estrogen, where is it going in my body? Because some of the pathways are better than other pathways. And when it comes to symptoms or cancer risk, I want to know what these pathways are. They're called metabolites, which basically is a fancy word for like the breakdown product, the smaller product, but they're still quite active in their own right. And so if you're listening to this and you haven't had blood work done in a decade, start there, just go get blood work done. And if you're listening to this going, I had blood work and I got a very generic answer, maybe we need to do more of the specialty testing and a little more advanced testing, especially as we get into our 40s and 50s and our risk for some of those estrogenic things, naughtiness comes up, then I'm looking more at the urine testing because I want to know where it's going. I really want to protect you if I can. So uh, the Dutch test is the the, the sort of group of, uh, I guess the group you worked with and advise on for a it while. Is, That's a combination yeah. saliva urine test, right? You can't, yeah. So it's, it's, you can do just urine or you can do combination saliva urine. Yeah. I have to say the results that I was able to bring back to my provider because you sent me one after our last panel or I'm sorry, (laughs) our last discussion. And I was like, I'm just going to add this in. Thankfully, my doctor is amazing and was open to it. We had already been doing our our saliva testing and she was like, wow, this is so much more information than just a typical. So I was really grateful to have that. And when you mentioned this sort of um, issue with estrogen, when people hear that they sort of, you know, tend to start to worry that a lot of cancers are, we hear, hormonally fed or hormonally caused. And from what I understand, we, we don't want to be estrogen dominant, not only for the cancer risk of things, but talk a little bit more specifically about what you mean when you say like the nastiness of like too much estrogen. Yeah. Well, first of all, I will say that estrogen, poor estrogen is a class of hormones. It gets vilified, you know, because we talk about breast cancer and breast cancer is very scary. And um, so, and estrogen is often tagged with it. What we forget, though, and is that estrogen in our body is females, uh, males too, but more so females. It really does make our world go round. I mean, estradiol mm. is the main, most potent estrogen we have in our system. It is important to your brain health, your skin, your joints, your bones, mm. your immune system, like reproduction, everything. And people forget this. And so, but they're so worried. I don't want breast cancer. 
therefore I don't want estrogen. I'm like, don't trust me, you don't want dementia and you don't want osteoporosis and you don't want heart disease. Like we, it's a balance. I, we want, right. it's a Goldilocks. I, we want some estradiol to do its thing and do it in the right way, but we don't want too little and we don't want too much. The other thing I want to point out is that cancer, estrogenic cancers are um, like a combination of a lot of things. We can't mm. ever say cancer is just due to estradiol. It's, there, it's never one thing with, with cancer, unfortunately. And in, with the amount of estrogenic-like chemicals we have in our environment contributing to the situation, coupled with the amount of stress we have, coupled with you know poor diets, just poor growing and soil situations, so not as many nutrients, coupled with alcohol, coupled with, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It does set up an environment for some people for cancer. We mm. just happen to pin it on estrogen. And I'm like, oh, that's not fair. Estrogen by itself is not the only reason for cancer development. However, I will say when we talk about estrogen dominance, so we're at the like too much of the Goldilocks thing. So when you have um, a more estrogen than you maybe should at a certain part of your cycle, they bind to all your what we call receptors and activate them. So this can mm. overactivate PMS, overactivate heavy periods, overactivate clots, overactivate cramps, um, overactivate you know breast tenderness. And so we want to make sure that estradiol or its downstream metabolites, which I talked about, mm. some of them are worse than others. We want to make sure we got those in check because you could possibly do a blood test, find your estradiol is quote in the range. But when we do this, the, the urine test, I'm like, oh, it's the next layer down. Your next layer down of what it's turning into is estrogenic, is binding to those receptors, activating your PMS, activating your, your heavy periods, et cetera. So by knowing this information, peeling that layer of the estrogen onion, then we can address it. And it can you know, really make a world of difference. Just as you said, like, oh, I was getting anxiety before my period or insomnia yeah. before my period, or what is all this got going on before my period? And I'm like, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, let's let's really look at this. Yeah, it was really in remains my only symptom. I've never been a person who had heavy periods or clotting or cramping or it I would say specifically though, like late 30s, it's just that week. And it's not every month, yeah. but it's enough that I I, I have said before, and I, I remember one day very specifically, I was sitting in my in my walk-in closet and I was just like, I feel like a prisoner in my mind. Like mm. my anxiety was so, and it's never been like, I feel trapped in yeah. my own. Like I know why I know I'm looking at the calendar and saying, okay, my period is coming in yeah. two days. And it is the wildest feeling. If you, I've never experienced true anxiety before. I mean, I think I've struggled a little, maybe postpartum yeah. with an elevated sort of urgency or worry about my kids and stuff, but never. And I was like, my God, these hormones are a powerful, powerful thing. Well, we have to talk about the other hormone, which is progesterone. So we, because estrogen and progesterone are best friends, they work in sort of like a ratio balance throughout your cycle. And progesterone, so when you ovulate, when you release your egg, that's when you make progesterone. Mm -hmm. Progesterone is our progestation hormone. So whether you Ooh. or not you want a baby, I don't, but I still make progesterone. Um, you, the progesterone helps you have like a great setup for implantation and you know it's it's calming it's soothing it's relaxing it's like okay let's buy throw pillows let's buy blankets let's turn the fire on in that second half of your cycle because you might be trying to grow a baby here soon so it's like setting the space for you getting you all calm and relaxed if you don't make enough progesterone if you don't ovulate if your progesterone falls too quickly it's supposed to rise up like a mountain mm -hmm. and then you and you're not if you're not pregnant then it comes down and mm -hmm. so if that fall, if that drop is very sudden, you don't feel calm, you don't feel relaxed, you don't mm -hmm. feel snuggly, you're, you're quite the opposite. And then that sort of you get those what we, you know, low progesterone, high estrogen uh, sort of symptoms, that estrogenic that we talk about. And so for a lot of women, yes, we have to look at estrogen, but boy, we have to look at progesterone because that's the yeah. calming, soothing one that we miss out on. And especially as we get older, especially as we get to that late thirties and our forties, mm -hmm. we don't ovulate like we used to. We don't pump out the progesterone like we used to. And as a result, we suffer. Are you able to speak to specific levels as to what the numbers should be as far as 
um, yeah, yeah, progesterone, estradiol, like everything. I had someone ask that, and I don't know if it's like varies per person, but if you can't speak to it, I can give like let's 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 say roughly in the luteal phase. So you're listening to this, and you're like, cool. I have a I have a normal I have an expected cycle somewhere like 26 to 30 days, somewhere in there. I think I ovulate. So five to seven days after ovulation, you're going to go get your blood test. On a blood test, if your progesterone is above five, that indicates you you ovulated and you're making pretty good progesterone. If you're above 10, that's amazing. That's that's actually even better. We, we want your progesterone to be above 10. So if you, and especially if you're listening to this and you're trying to become pregnant, no matter your age, we definitely want you above 10. I mean, I definitely mm -hmm. want the higher above 10, the better, like progestation, let's go. For estradiol in that second half, that luteal phase, it's generally in somewhere in the like 100 to 200 range that we're looking at. Um, if it's below 20, below 50, below 25, we you're starting to get into the menopausal range. It doesn't mean you're menopausal. It just means you've dropped into that low range. And if you're a lot higher, if you're above 250, 300, whew, that's a lot of estrogen at that point in the cycle. And mm. so rough, rough, you know, rough ranges for people just to keep an eye on. Those are the, those are the two that I look at. And reiterate again, Dr. Jones, the best days to test if we're doing the saliva test or really anything, but Any, especially the saliva yeah. test. So uh, five to seven days after you ovulate. So some people will say, okay. well, Carrie, I don't know if I ovulate. How do I know if I ovulate? Some people feel it. Some people get the, you know, the vaginal mucus change. Some people test it. Some people are doing at home LH strips, especially if they're trying to get pregnant. Some people are wearing trackables or wearables like a ring or a watch or a band, and they will notice that their, their uh, temperature rise will go up. Some people are actually checking their temperature. Progesterone is warming, so you will find your temperature will bump up a degree mm -hmm. when you ovulate. So when you see your degree bump up on your ring or watch or, or band, if you're tracking that or, or thermometer, um, then know that you've ovulated probably in the last 24 hours, and then you're just gonna count forward five to seven days. So we okay. call it like mid luteal phase. For those of you familiar with what phase you're in, we want to kind of be in the middle, day 20, 21, somewhere in there. Okay. What about signs that hormones are imbalanced? Say we haven't gotten a chance to, I know we mentioned yes. a couple of these, but we haven't gotten a chance to speak specifically with a doctor, but these are women who are like, okay, I feel like something might be up. What am I looking for to show signs of imbalance? First of all, hormones are your canary in the coal mine. They react hmm. to everything. So several symptoms can be hormonally related. It doesn't mean it's the absolute root cause, but definitely it's the hormone shift that could be the problem. We also have a lot of hormones. We've talked about progesterone and estro estrogens as a family, but you also have testosterone, you have cortisol, you have DHEA, you have thyroid. So a lot of your symptoms... I'd say the most common symptoms are some of the PMS ones we talked about, but mm -hmm. everything including like hair loss, like hair loss, male or female pattern hair loss, or just hair thinning in general, skin changes, feeling maybe older, drier, crepier, more wrinkles than you are accustomed to right now. Even things like joint pain, vaginal dryness, dry eyes, dry mouth, just dryness in general can be a low estrogen symptom, low libido. Um, you know, not able to orgasm like you used to. Those hormones play a big role in nerve sensitivity to the clitoris or even just uh, the, you know, act of being in the mood and wanting to have sex. You can have uh, waking, especially around the middle. You sort of get this shift, unfortunately, especially as we get older into the apple shape. So we notice we didn't have a belly and now we have a belly. Like where, did, what the heck? Why do we have the belly? Blood sugar changes, you used to be able to go from breakfast to lunch, and now you find you're hangry, like you're hungry and angry. Or you used to be able, if you had like a work meeting or a lot of kid stuff going on and you skipped lunch by accident, it was fine. You could push through knowing you'd get a snack or you'd get to dinner. Now you can't. Now you're moody and irritable and angry because you haven't eaten. You've got this sort of inability like you used to for blood sugar. Insomnia, can't fall asleep, can't stay asleep, waking up in the middle of the night, um, stress response in general, you're not handling it like you used to. You're feeling a little more overwhelmed than you used to. Your brain fog isn't as, or is, is getting worse. Your multitasking ability isn't as good as it used to be. So you can mm -hmm. see it's like this really wide breadth of symptoms. Even your immune system gets involved with hormones. I have women that say, before I ovulate or before my period, I feel flu-like. I think I'm about to get sick. 
my allergies are worse, my skin is itchier, then my period comes and it goes away. Like, yep, your hormones play a role in your immune system. That's so weird. I was pregnant in my first trimester with my third baby and I had an itchiness on my legs. It was probably hormonal, like a surge of, so I didn't know that itchy skin could be hormonal in nature, but it makes sense because it was like right before the second trimester and no one could figure out what it was. All the doctors were like, try the hydrocortisone, whatever. But I'm hearing this, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, itchy skin, it could have been hormone related. Could have histamine. So estradiol and histamine. So we think of histamine with allergies. People take antihistamines Mm -hmm. in the spring or in the fall. Um, But when you have higher levels than you should of estradiol, it slows Mm -hmm. down your uh, breakdown of histamine. So now histamine's you know, causing havoc in the body and you feel more allergic. And for some people, that's, that's a runny nose. And for other people, it's that um, itchy, allergic type reaction skin. Wow. And for some okay. people, it's both. So when does, I don't even, I, I don't know what perimenopause is, so we should start there. <laughs> yes. I was going to say, when does it start? But I feel like we should define it first. Yes. Yeah. So there's no test for peri- perimenopause. Perimenopause is defined as sort of like you're about the right age and you're starting to have these symptoms. So about the right age, uh, perimenopause can start as early as late 30s. We used to say like 39, but absolutely I have people who are 37, 38, feeling these symptoms into your 40s. So if you're somewhere in there and you're starting these symptoms, I'm about to say, we consider it sort of heading into perimenopause or perimenopause. What's Mm -hmm. perimenopausal symptoms? Well, you're transitioning from your reproductive years into your menopausal years So you're going to go from hopefully regular cycles to no cycles. So basically, it's going to feel like you're backing out of puberty. So for a lot of women, this can feel like fatigue, vaginal Mm -hmm. dryness, low libido, worse brain fog, hot flashes or night sweats, changes in your cycle. They're getting closer together. They're getting further apart. Changes in your flow. You used to not be heavy. Now you are heavy. Used to not be heavy. Now you're nice and light and only have bleed two days a week or two days uh, per cycle. So mm-hmm. it can really be this like, what is happening? I used to be so predictable, um, and and now it's shifting. And mm-hmm. in fact, there's, I want to say like close to a hundred symptoms that fall under the perimenopausal category. A hundred. Those are just <laughs> those are just some of the common ones, um, and they can come and go. I have had women say to me. I went through a period where I was skipping my periods and having hot flashes and then it stopped. I'm like, yep, that's, that's perimenopause. And then it may come back a couple months later. Um, I've had other women who have no symptoms other than, um, you know, dryness, everything mm-hmm. just sort of feels dry. I've had other women mm-hmm. who were like, Oh my gosh, my joint pain. I just feel like, you know, my shoulders hurt, my knees hurt, my hips hurt. And they didn't used to where they like kind of did. And mm-hmm. now it's sort of all the time anxiety because of the loss of progesterone. Uh, the decline in progesterone. So they were kind of anxious. And now they're like, what the heck? I turned 40 and I can't sleep and I'm anxious all the time. So, these, so it's, it's, it's important to know that these symptoms can fluctuate then. It's they not like you're going to start fluctuate. and it's going to necessarily. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So, so here's, the, here's what's terrible. This is what drives me nuts. We think we're crazy. <laughs> and we go to the doctor and we say, I'm having anxiety or weird periods or I can't sleep or whatever. And they'll go, are you having it now? And you may say, no, I mean, I had it like up the last three months, but it's gone away. And they're like, all right, we'll come back when it comes back. It's like, no, it's, it's perimenopause. It's hormonal. Let's do something about it. Well, let's talk about that too, because like, (laughs) if it is that, and or if you're in that age bracket and and you want to even explore that discussion with your doctor, like what are the options? We've heard heard a lot about hormone replacement therapy. We know by now it's gotten a really bad rap, but we yeah. also know that there are bioidentical versions now and compounded versions of things. Like there's a lot to get through, Dr. Jones. So tell us what is safe that mm-hmm. we can do and whether or not you support HRT sort of as like a general yeah. umbrella. Yeah, great question. So first of all, the foundations are the most important thing. And why I said in the beginning, when you ask for lab testing, ask for everything, ask for your glucose, ask for your cholesterol, ask for your thyroid, because it's also possible as you are getting into your 40s that you have a thyroid issue, which can commonly happen. And thyroid Mm -hmm. is a big deal and it can create a lot of symptoms. It's Mm -hmm. possible you have a blood sugar issue. Like things we can do foundationally. You're having insomnia, but you're also Mm -hmm. up on your phone because you put your kids to bed, you get your second wind. And now is the time you can get through emails, you know, go through TikTok, 
you're, you know, making, getting things ready for tomorrow. You're now you can sit down and watch your TV, but what are you watching? You know, you're watching horror documentaries. Mm -hmm. So these things, I, these little foundational things, how, how you live your life, how you manage your stress. Do you have joy in your life? What are Mm -hmm. you eating? Are you drinking as in hydration for water or alcohol, right? Um, The choice, the habits that you have, you know, all of these foundational things you can, we can get away with in our twenties into our thirties. Mm-hmm. And until we can't, and in our forties, right. as we're backing out of puberty, right. we can't get away with those things anymore. And so I've had so many women go, gosh, you know, I've really gotten away from exercise or I've really gotten away from, um, you know, I've added more wine into my life or are you right? Gosh, you're right. I'm not drinking as much water as I used to. I, in fact, I'm living off of caffeine and protein bars. And so these foundational shifts, like you really, I don't make the rules hmm. physiology. Like you're going to have to really take a hard look at this. Then we move into things like electrolytes, minerals, nutrients, B vitamins, omegas. Like, do you have that baseline before we? I'm. I love bioidentical hormone replacement therapy for the right person, but I make sure they have these foundationals first. I don't just jump into progesterone or progesterone and estrogen if we they're still if they're swallowing it with their glass of wine. Like, I'm like, we can't do that. So. Right. Okay, so lifestyle changes first. Lifestyle changes first. Then we get in the BHRT. And there's herbs. I'm a big fan of there's herbs that are helpful for symptoms. There are adaptogens to help with stress. There's calming herbs and teas to help with sleep. Mm -hmm. So we start with that. Now, bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. Hormone replacement therapy in general got a really bad rap because in 2002, there was the uh, the Women's Health Initiative, the WHI. Mm -hmm. And it said, if you go on HRT, you're going to much higher risk for breast cancer. The whole world panicked, rightfully so, and said, go off your HRT. Since that time, since 2002, a lot of those authors in that paper have published other papers to go, oops, not that wasn't quite right. And there was a lot of mistakes in that paper. There was a lot of, um, there were a lot of issues. There were a lot of controversy. They specifically left out certain women. They chose to go mm-hmm. for older women who weren't that healthy, um, they didn't want women who had a whole lot of hot flashes and night sweats. They wanted, like, it was just, once you dug into the paper, you're like, hold on, this was actually not the greatest setup study design and some of the outcomes have been retracted or were wrong. And so millions of women have missed out on hormone replacement therapy at what cost? I mean, that's still being debated is unfortunate. So in the study though, they looked at ethanol estradiol, which is a form of estrogen, and they looked at a synthetic progesterone called a progestin. And when you put those two together, that one does seem to be have the worst outcomes. When they looked at the estradiol group by itself, no breast cancer increase. But yet the whole world was being told HRT causes breast cancer. It, it, it's real interesting in the study. Fast forward, what I tell people is, if you're going to do it, we're not going to mix we're not going to use that synthetic progesterone, progestin. We're going to use progesterone, the real thing. And I'm going to push into bioidentical hormone replacement. That's the only thing I'm going to use, which there are several on the market. There are several in pharmacies. You can get it compounded, big fan of compounding. You can also go to your local Walgreens or CVS or whoever you use and get other forms of bioidentical hormone replacement, like a patch there's, there's, uh, you know, like vaginal inserts, like there's things you can do. There's progesterone pills that are bioidentical and available. So for the right person, I find that replacing their, their estrogen and progesterone back to a physiologic dose. I'm not trying to make them 20 years old again, right? Really (laughs) helps prevent a lot of chronic issues in the future. And thankfully it's being studied down to like brain health, mm-hmm. down to brain health. And I'll say this last thing and then I'll stop. I was walk. there's, there's two, there's a big brain researcher named Lisa Moscani and she wrote a book called the XX brain. And she's um, coming out with another book about menopause brain because of her findings with estradiol. But I was talking to another colleague of mine who's works with another big brain researcher in the, in the world for females. They're not a lot of female brain researchers, a lot of male, not a lot of female. And that doctor told her within two years of stopping your period, so whenever you go into menopause, you're, if you are not on hormones, estrogen, your brain matter shrinks. It shrinks. You, and if you aren't on hormones, 
so far we're finding, according to her, we can't get it back. It doesn't like mm-hmm. inflate or regrow or something. And I was like, what? Why is this not being talked about? She's like, yeah, we're learning more in the dementia Alzheimer's field. And they're starting to study more women in it. But mm-hmm. we've been largely left out of studies right. for a long time because they don't want our cycle. Mm-hmm. Like that's too hard to control or manipulate or like factor in. Right but now, these female research researchers, these brain researchers, are like, hold on, <laughs> there's a problem. Oh yeah, and that's a huge thing. Obviously, that we want to keep healthy. I, I had an interesting conversation with my own doctor the other day because I'm always testing and retesting. I mean, it's a running joke. I mean, if there's a test to be taken, I will do it. But <laughs> um, but I'm on top of this kind of stuff because it matters. And she was saying how there is. Uh, an interesting link between when you get on your hormone replacement, mm-hmm. whether bioidentical, um, yeah. and, and when it's worth doing and not. And sh- you said something about like a certain time period, and I, you have to correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember her mentioning something. If you're not already on it, like you need to be on it in the run up yeah. to menopause. Is that true? But yeah, here's my that's, question: that's If you're on ideal. it in the run up, does when does menopause come? Say you're doing bioidenticals and you're mm. s- sort of supplementing your, like you said, your physiological range, your ideal range for your age. Yeah. Do, what, do, does that just delay menopause? No. Like, no. no. Okay. No, nope. oh, thankfully it does not. Nope. Nope. Okay. So if you're listening to this right now and let's say you're like, oh my gosh, Carrie, Sunny, I have all of those symptoms, like every single one of them, but I still get a period sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and if you're a candidate for hormones, definitely talk to your practitioner about it. But going on estradiol or a, a combination of estrogens with progesterone will not delay menopause. Menopause is coming. Um, you know, just as in Game of Thrones, winter is coming. Um, we can't, we, we can't stop. We can't not. It's just part of physiology for being female. Um, however, it is true. We know it's if for the best benefit long-term, uh, again, if you're a candidate for hormones, then being on them prior, just, you know, prior to your period stopping, or even a re- like right around when your period stops, um, is the best option is the best option. I mean, and it, now that I know about this brain, um, the brain shrinkage, uh, then it, at the very least to be considered menopausal, you have to go 12 months with no period mm-hmm. and be at an appropriate age. If you're, if you're listening to this and you're like, well, I'm 35 and I haven't had a period in you know a while, probably not menopause, but let's could be other things. Like let's figure that out. PCOS or thyroid, or, you know, there's other reasons that you may have no period, but if right. you're 55 and you haven't had a period in 12 months, on the 13th month, you're considered menopausal. So what if you're on bioidenticals through your 40s or through your mid-40s through mid-50s when you yeah. would typically, is that also safe? Yeah. Yes. So I, well, I want to say this. So it's, it's um, acceptable. Yes, for sure. The mm-hmm. safety though comes with your, your, like, are you testing? Are you on the right dose? You're, and like, what are you doing in your life to reduce the risk of, cancer being the biggest concern, right? So as I said earlier, if you're swallowing your hormones with a glass of wine every single night, not so good. If you are routinely slathering on products that are full of endocrine disrupting chemicals, you're drinking out of plastic, you're heating up in plastic, you are swimming in fragrance, you have fragrance candles all over your house that you just love to breathe in. You know, you have a lot of digestive issues, you're, you've not pooping every day, you're not hydrated. So you're not, you know, the detox process isn't that great in your body that adds up. And so mm-hmm. we, that's why I said the foundational work is so critical first before we just jump right into hormones and we can do both at the same time. Mm-hmm. But if you are not going to do the foundational work, hormones are not going to, you know, right. it's not all that's, it's, it's not the full hundred percent. It's not a magic pill, but it is safe to be on for an extended period of time. Depends on the person. Depends on the person. So we have to be careful. That's why testing is important. If you have a history, if you have a strong family history, you know, if you have the BRCA gene, there are mm. definite contraindications. And if you're with your practitioner, they should be asking you these questions. Um, and certain types of hormone uh, routes, for example, if you are um, have a clotting disorder, you know, we, we can't do oral estrogen, which is not generally done anyway, um, but you are more a candidate for the topical a patch or a cream or vaginal. And so by asking these questions, it's not just like, hey, they're so safe, let's make them over the counter. They're real helpful, but you ha- like, we have to dial it in, we have to personalize it for you based on what you've got going on. I will say a lot yeah, of the safety ahead. is around estrogens. 
but there are other hormones, right? So women are maybe listening to this going, well, I'm on progesterone or I'm on testosterone. Or I'm on DHEA, different safety profile. It's the estrogens that we think of the, the most, of course, with breast cancer or clotting, is worsening clotting as an example. And so progesterone is relatively safe. It's, it can have some side effects for some women, um, right. but it is generally, it's, it's over the counter. You can get progesterone cream everywhere, anywhere, but right. estrogen is not uh, for that reason. We want to be much more personalized with estrogens. I am a big fan of estrogens for women going into menopause if you're the right fit. So it is key. There's really no general advice to give as far as like, okay, you should be on it for 10 years leading up to your correct, whatever. So, oh, well, I actually so there, is, monitor. there is debate in the field. So some of my, um, hormone, uh, export expert mentors are like, never go off because once you go off, you lose the benefits go away. Like once you're off estrogen, like you're back to where you were, you know, you're back to your, your physiologic low menopausal levels. And it could be even lower than that. Cause maybe now you're in your sixties or seventies. Mm -hmm. So you lose the benefit. Consider staying on it. Another camp feels, because of research, you should only be on it for five to 10 years. So if you go on it at 45, you should go off it at 55. If you're on it at 50, you should go off at 60. And I, having prescribed hormones for years and years and years, usually what would happen is women would be on hormones and I was fine mm -hmm. with them staying on it as long as we monitored them, that, you know, I saw them every year, et cetera. But somewhere at some point as a woman, like we just get tired of taking things. And I had mm -hmm. a lot of women that would hit their 60s or 70s and go, can I just stop? I am done with yeah. this. And I'm like, you yeah. can if you want to. It's your body, of course. Is on there the some flip side, Well, so I was going to say on the flip side, I have heard of, I've, I've consulted on a few. Um, I am not an Alzheimer's or dementia or brain expert. However, mm -hmm. I have had a few um, Alzheimer's, dementia expert doctors in the functional medicine field say, I'm going to start, I'm going to put them on estradiol. I'm going to put these women who are clearly, in, you know, in their eighties, like starting to develop early dementia is part of my protocol. I'm going to put them back on estradiol and see what we can do. And anecdotally, it seems to help as part of a protocol. Now it's part of a protocol. They're on a whole protocol, but I thought, you know what? They're 80. Screw it. Like, yeah, you know, try it. Try it. See Let's if it see works. Mm -hmm. If you can get the brain function back even 10%, like right. that, amazing. If somebody is going down that dementia or Alzheimer's path. So, so I, anecdotally, no I know, I, I know yeah. that that is out there and it is being evaluated. And like I said, Dr. Mascani is coming out with menopause brain soon. I'm mm. so excited to read that as somebody who's in her forties. <laughs> sure. <to> sure. <laughs> Absolutely. And is it true? I, I was speaking to someone about this too, who said, once you get on any form of hormone replacement, whether bioidentical or not, um, and you choose to get off, it is almost more difficult than it would normally have been going through your normal timeline, because all of a sudden your body getting those hormones exogenously is no longer trained or remembers how to make them do you ever bounce back is that number one is that true and if that is the case can you ever bounce back from that and teach your body to make the hormones that you were previously supplementing when you are menopausal the two hormones the two main hormones that you lose out the biggest of course are progesterone it goes when you are menopausal you don't ovulate anymore so your progesterone production goes down to near zero i mean that's normal that's expected mm -hmm. down to near zero and that can be really hard for a lot of women which is why progesterone supplementation can be really helpful for, again, the anxiety, the sleep, the calming feeling. And so they really like being on a little bit of progesterone as they go through menopause. Mm -hmm. But if you choose to go off, you are not suddenly going to make keeps the progesterone again, because mm -hmm. normal for you is near zero. It just physiologically, that's what you do. So we're just giving you a little bit to help with the oomph. Again, I'm not trying to get you back to your twenties, but I am trying to give you enough to like give you some oomph so you don't feel anxious and you can sleep again. The same okay. goes for estrogen. When you're menopausal, um, your you, your ovaries are not producing estrogen anymore. We produce it in a different manner, but at very mm -hmm. low levels. Menopausal levels is what we call it. So if you're on estrogen, I'm just, I personally, I'm just trying to keep you in the menopausal range because some people right. make even less than that. They're just, they just, they're menopausal making like next to zero of estrogen. Right. And right. I'm just trying to get them back up in the range. So when they stop, maybe maybe their body will get back to what they were doing, but they may drop back down again as well. 
So menopausal, there's no herb that's going to make you make estrogen. There's no herb yeah. that's going to make you make progesterone. There are phytoestrogenic herbs and, and nutrient like soy, genistein, uh, like flax seeds, not flax mm -hmm. oil, but flax seeds, um, that they bind to estrogen receptors very, very, very weakly. So, meaning like if, if it was a scale, like a zero to a hundred, phytoestrogens bind at like a five, whereas estradiol binds at a hundred percent. But if you were at zero estrogen, right. it's like, can feel like a lot. And that's why people go, well, my, I, I do genistein or I do ground flax seeds or I do, you know, mm -hmm. resveratrol and my hot flashes went away. I'm like, that's great because you actually had so little estrogen that that little itty bitty bit of phytoestrogen bound to your receptor and helped take your symptoms away. Well, that was going to be my next question, which is, is there any way to naturally, air quotes, supplement your way through perimenopause, through menopause, uh, that would sort of replicate or approach the effects of, say, a bioidentical without having to go down that route? So there are a lot of women who have gone through perimenopause and menopause with zero hormones. Mm -hmm. They've either toughed it through or they were God's favorite and they didn't have any symptoms and just sailed through. So absolutely it's possible. I've had women say, you know, from again, foundational work, they came into their thirties really tight on their, their diet, their sleep, their stress management, their, the, endocrine disrupting chemicals they allow in their life etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm. exercise their body composition like they that seems to set you up the best as you go into perimenopause and menopause unfortunately though i also see the complete other side where people go i got through menopause and i didn't do any hormones nothing um and i'm fine except they're in my office not fine you know they're like i don't have hot flashes but I'm having all this, you know, brain fog. I don't have hot flashes, mm. but I put on 40 pounds. Right. I don't have hot flashes, but, and I'm like, oh, you, you, you were getting all just all the metabolic, the cardiometabolic right. side effects of menopause. Us women, when we go into perimenopause and menopause, we go, we become more cardiometabolically unsound, meaning we're higher risk for heart disease stuff. We're mm -hmm. higher risk for diabetes. We're higher risk for non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. We're higher risk for all of that like stuff we don't want mm -hmm. and and doesn't help us thrive in life. And so that they come into my office saying, "Well, I didn't need hormones, but now I'm pre-diabetic. I didn't need hormones, but now you know my triglycerides are high and I'm having wow. all these I'm like ah, I I know." So there's no. There are a lot of supplements that are helpful in that regard, but unfortunately, what really helped us as females in our younger years was estradiol at the right amounts. Oh. And, and we lose that as we get, as we get older. This is just depressing, Dr. <laughs> I know it sounds, I know here's the thing. It sounds super depressing, except there is so much you can do. If somebody's listening to this going, even if you're listening to this going, I, I don't believe mm -hmm. in HRT still, or I know I'm not a candidate dial in your foundations a hundred percent. Like that's mm -hmm. where you need to like really, really, really work. You need to lift weights. You need to increase your muscle mass. You need to get your blood sugar regulation under yeah. control. You need to get your stress and sleep under control. Again, I don't make the rules. I'm just telling you what happens that will help you have a successful shift through perimenopause and you can do right. it. If you yeah. choose to do BHRT, it'll, it, I, I'm sorry, it will help you. More. Yeah, so you're you're gen it sounds will. like you're generally a fan of bioidentical. Yes, I mean when I'm right yeah. when I it's my time I will definitely go on BHRT. I'm obviously a, a I'm in the field so I know how right. to mitigate risk uh, easier or better right. and I have access to testing and that's not always the case for pe for women which is so unfortunate. But even in the UK, you know, in the UK mm. with um, their uh, health uh, policy. Um, they give BHRT to women. I mean, it's part of the plan. Oh. You don't have to beg for it. You don't have to be secretive about it. You That's you can crazy. go see your governmental practitioner and um, the NIH and you can get your hormones. So I'm like, hey, look, if the UK is dosing it out, the US yeah. needs to get better on education and help make it available. It is sure. more available it's in pharmacies. You can get bioidentical in pharmacies. 
Um, however, it's not a lot of practitioners are as trained and savvy on it. Right. And then you have to determine amounts and, and things like that. So I would imagine you do have to go to your doctor for at least one portion of that. Like, Hey, I'm going to yeah. pick these up. Like what, how yes. much, all that stuff. Yes. And some are prescription only for like mm-hmm. testosterone is prescription only progesterone and DHEA are over the counter. Um, and so, or you can have them, con- like, there are options for some of the hormones. Again, the main one we're talking with the most, I think maybe fear of course would be the estrogen family. Mm-hmm. We don't have nearly the amount of fear with testosterone, progesterone, or DHEA. Sure, they have, there's some side effects we have to watch out for, but um, it's estrogen that everybody, of course, has the fear around, and um, that one is prescription. But do you can have a compounded, to... or it can be through pharmacy. Compounded or pharmacy. Okay, do we tend to go through menopause at the same age as our moms? Is that hereditary? I have found, it, so in theory, yes. In theory, yes. However, anecdotally, I had a lot of people who live very different lives than their mom. Mm-hmm. And so their menopause was different, either sooner or later, depending on whether their life was, um, you know, they were had a di- like a healthier, more thriving life or mm-hmm. a, uh, inability to access life. And then I, so we know that like smokers go through menopause sooner. We know uh, um, certain... Um, diabetes, diabetics go through menopause sooner in general. Um, anything that can really sort of mess up the signaling or the blood flow to the brain, to the mm-hmm. ovaries mm-hmm. can greatly affect that. Can you talk to us about some life, very easy lifestyle changes we can make to sort of mitigate the impact of environmental factors shifting our hormones? Yes. Um, avoidance is the best way. Yeah. <laughs> and reading, it's reading labels and educating. And I'm not saying you have to be pristine. Um, I am not pristine, and I, but I'm, you know, I'm pretty good when it comes to this. I have been on an environmental chemical uh, trip since I figured it out in 1999, since I got into natural and functional medicine. So my journey, my 24 year journey where we're at is different than somebody listening to this for the first time going, Oh my gosh, it's, we're recording this around Halloween time. I have so Mm. many pumpkin spice stuff all over my house. What do I do? I'm like, you can either (laughs) use it up and then don't buy it again or buy cleaner options um, or get rid of it. Get rid of the trees in your hanging off the rear of your mirror. Be mindful of the detergent you're buying be mindful of your shampoo, your conditioner, your cleaning agents, your, your um, lipstick, your facial stuff, like everything. Just mm. be mindful. Try to buy a cleaner option when you run out to your deodorant. In, if it fits in your budget, look at air filters. If it fits in your budget, um, I'm a big fan of water filters. Mm-hmm. I mean, unfortunately, a lot of water in a lot of our, our cities and towns aren't that great. And there are higher end filters and then there's your basic everyday. And I'm like, get what fits in your budget. Cause any little bit helps right. be mindful of all the plastic water bottles you're drinking out of. Be mindful of the fact that you are drinking your coffee out of a to go cup lined with plastic with a plastic lid on top. So you have hot liquid melting off the phthalates, the plastics into your coffee. And then you drink through a soft plastic cup lid right into your mouth. And if you do that every day, you're getting that exposure. Just be mindful. And it's these things that people are like, oh my gosh, nail polish, toenail polish, you know, just these things that we do on repeat, pick your, pick your battle, do Mm -hmm. what you can and, and be open. You know, I get my hair highlighted. This is not natural. You know, people are like, what, what natural highlights do you use? I said, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) That's my vice. That's That's the one thing I'm keeping. That's a vice, but pretty much everything else. I mean, I don't, I don't have nail polish on. I don't get, you know, I used to, I used to get my nails done all the time and then I got lazy and now I'm like, I kind of like the natural nail. I've been doing the buff on my, like just the, like the, the the buffing block on both my toes and my fingernails. And I actually like the look of it better. I've never been one for manicures, but pedicures for years I would get. And now I'm like, you know what? Who doesn't love a pedicure? I yeah, to get the cleaning, I get the, you know, the cuticle trim, but then at the end, I'm just like, give me a good buff. And it, I like the look of it better yeah. too. So anyway, that's like yeah. one little change, I think. Um, Dr. Jones, is there anything we missed? Anything <laughs> that you, I mean, there is, I know we yes, could talk so for much. hours about yes. this, but maybe we end with sort of a little note of hope, yes. especially for oh my, my, my ladies who are in that stage where they're like, listen, it's about to hit the fan. I don't know what's going to happen. Can you end on a positive note for us and let us know you know, what we can expect if we are mindful of all of this and if we are good with testing. Yes. So positively, one, you're listening to this, you know, podcast right now. So you are leaps and bounds ahead of other people in terms of education. And now, you know, 
what you can do, what to expect potentially, what you can do and what to ask for. Mm. When it comes to maybe habits, uh, one of the big ones, you know, we as humans work off of a circadian rhythm mm -hmm. and our hormones work off of a rhythm. And our rhythm, which we didn't really get to talk about, but I will tell you now, is set daily. So your mm. our computer, your phone, that is set to 24 hours. Our human body is set longer than 24 hours. So every single day, we have to set and reset our human rhythm. And we do that through light in the morning and darkness at night. And so I mentioned earlier about when you get that second wind at night and you're on your computer, you're on your phone, you're watching TV and it's bright lights and you're trying to go to bed, but you can't sleep. You got to be mindful of that. So at night, winding down, mm -hmm. you know, switch wearing blue light blocking glasses, switching your computer or phone background to more of an orangey red, have a routine at night that does wind you down, set the tone sleep in complete darkness, consider wearing mm -hmm. a sleep mask. In the morning, you do the complete opposite. You want full spectrum light, go outside for five or 10 minutes, open a window, mm -hmm. get that exposure, or buy, if it fits in the budget, a $20, $30 full spectrum light box, put it on your counter, turn it on in the morning. Yeah. Get that full spectrum light in the morning. And that, the, that light and dark is what helps set and reset your circadian rhythm. And mm -hmm. oh my goodness, can make such a big difference in your hormonal production. Mm -hmm. Yep. I've been such a fan of like, we, we call it morning light in the house. And ever since I heard a podcast, I don't know, with a neuroscientist years ago, I even drag my kids out now and I'm like, let's go get the morning light. And we just yep. stand out there. And I think this sounds weird, but I feel better. Yeah. I feel it when I do it. I feel plugged yeah. in almost. Yep. It's strange. Yep. Um, okay. So these are all small doable things. And Hey, yep. at the, at the very least, we know we have experts like you that we can tap into on social yep. media and watch their stuff. And guys, if you're not already following Dr. Jones on Instagram, you, you have to, I'm going to put her, um, <laughs> her info at the bottom here. It's at Dr. Carrie Jones. Yes. Um, tell us to Carrie, where we can find you. If we want to connect with maybe more personalized information, are you still working with patients? I'm not so working with patients. Um, I do, obviously I do a ton of education on Instagram. I love it. It's all hormones all the time. I have a website, drcarriejones.com where I have, of course, like articles and up, podcasts I'm on and things like this, um, upcoming events. And then, uh, I do work with, if you are interested, I do tend to work with a group of um, functional coaches or uh, hormonal specific coaches at a group called Nutrition Dynamic. And okay. um, that's a way, that's a wonderful way for people who are looking to get help and looking to get testing and looking to understand this and feel better in their body. Um, so I have, a, I have a variety of ways, um, everything from free all the way up to, you know, some paid stuff that can be helpful. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Jones, for taking the time to talk with me. This has been so thorough and so helpful. And I know that we just gave a lot of people a good jumping off point. So thank yes. you so much. Thank you. Yes. All right. And guys, thank you for watching and or listening. Please go back in the feed and I'll try to find the old episodes and link them too, but listen to our first conversation um, as well. Um, I, I can't encourage you enough to follow her on social media, even if it's just a little bit of information here and there, anything that we can do to sort of encourage each other to get more information about what's going on with our bodies. Always a positive thing. Thank you so much for listening to this latest episode of We Gotta Talk. If you don't mind, I would love if you could leave a rating and review. Those help this show to get out to people who might find it useful or entertaining. I'm so grateful for your support. Please follow on Instagram at Sunny Abada or check out our latest blog post at wegotatalk.com slash blog. See you next time.